Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is, a, is an American rugby union player. She started her rugby career at the university she attended, which was the University of Carolina. Her position is wing and made her rugby sevens debut at the 2016 Sao Paulo Women's Sevens, a powerhouse who once scored eight tries in one match. She is the second in the all-time try scoring list for the United States and was part of the US team that headed to Tokyo for the Olympics. A warm welcome to Naya Tapper. How are you, Naya? How are you? And welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm very, very good. Um, I'm interested in Rugby Sevens. I think maybe the last Olympics or maybe a couple years ago, Edwin ironically was the person that actually brought me to the attention of rugby seven so um yes yeah, quite interesting that we've now got somebody on so yeah i'm looking forward to speaking to yourself ed yeah same same um rugby sevens is something that i played when i was quite young um i was good but then my mom stopped me from playing <laughs> so yeah i'm really interested in in talking about it really May I ask why she stopped you from playing? She was just terrified. But to be honest, I played a lot of sports, so it was it wasn't I got over it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, Naya, so we're gonna start off with our routine uh, um baseline question and it's about your first living memory. So what was your first living memory of a sport either playing or watching? I would say it would be when I was living in New York when I was about six years old. And you know, like when everybody's little, their parents put them in cheerleading and soccer yeah. and things like that. And I remember playing soccer, which I'm horrible at. And I went to kick the ball in the goal and my shoe flew off, <laughs> but, but the ball went in the goal. So I think that's like one of my favorite and first memories of sport. <laughs> Okay. And and what sport were you into when you were younger? I really wasn't into sports. Okay. I was I was just outside yeah. all day, just playing around, making mud pies, mud pies, riding bikes, climbing hills. Like that was my sport when I was young. Yeah, so when I was reading an article on you, um it was about you was described as being what is it, fast and aggressive, something along those lines? Um, why do you think that was described of you? I was very aggressive. I am very aggressive, but specifically when I was younger, I had a lot of energy um, and didn't know where to put it. So I was either getting on my parents or my sisters and brothers nerves, or I was outside trying to play football to kind of release all of that energy and that aggressiveness that I had in me. Um, I don't know why. I'm just assuming it was a part of my personality, <laughs> but that is why that was there. <laughs> I read when you were younger, you were into track, track and field. Um, mm -hmm. What got you into that? Um, so I started track and field seventh grade. I don't exactly remember why. I don't remember specifically wanting to do it or my mom putting me in, but I just know eventually I ended up in it. And I was really good from the start, which I was like, okay, you know, being a Leo, we like doing things that we're good at and committing our time to things that we're naturally good at that we don't have to work hard for. And that's kind of what track felt like when I first got into it. 
they put me in a 400 race and I, I just flew and they was like, okay, like this is the sport for you. And that's kind of what I stuck with until I found rugby. Um, so yeah, so you tried 400, so you was a sprinter. Um, so I read that you was a sprinter. Um, why did you not continue with the 400 if, you know, in the early stages, it, it seemed that you were good at it? Mm-hmm. When I realized I had a choice, <laughs> as I got older, like in seventh grade, they were like, do this. I'm like, okay. But when I got to high school, it was like, oh, you got a choice. Like you can pick what do you, what you want to run. And I just didn't. I wasn't a fan of the 400 anymore. It required too much energy and it was too hard for me, in my opinion. I didn't feel like I had the aerobic capacity for it. So when I had other options of being able to run races that were six seconds long or 12 seconds long, I was like, I'll do that. <laughs> so, so you went to college and um, rugby, like, you start to see, what, see rugby. Before that, have you ever heard of rugby? Have you ever watched it on TV? I had never heard of it or watched it, but in high school, while I was running track, uh, I had a math teacher, a white guy, and he started a rugby team at a basically like black and Hispanic minority school that I attended and asked if I would join. But because I was running track, I was like, no, I'm okay. And I didn't know much about it. I just knew it was like football and I always wanted to play football, but That wasn't a common thing that was allowed for girls to do then. So when I heard about it, it interested me, but I didn't think anything else of it after that. Like you said, like, I didn't know what I was missing out on. So it wasn't really hard to be like, oh, no, like, I can't do that. Okay. So when you went to the University of Carolina, so yeah, you became aware of rugby. But um, I guess my question before we really start delving into rugby what made you stop track and field? My senior year, it just got boring for me. Okay. Like just running in a straight line. It didn't it didn't excite me anymore. It was just like like that's it. You're just running. For practice, you're running. For competition, you're running. For off season, you're running. And eventually I just got I was over it and I also am a very realistic person and Knew I was good, but I wasn't good enough to go pro. It wasn't going to be something that was going to pay my bills. Mm. So I was like, you know, I'll just go to college, focus on my academics, party, have a good time, enjoy a lot of the things that I didn't get to enjoy because I was so focused on track in high school. Mm. So when you dis- when you went to college and you at first planned to focus your time mostly on the academic side of things, what, what thing hooked you to, to rugby? I started missing the competitiveness. Like I was still going to the gym and stuff, but it wasn't the same as competing, that excitement that competition gave me. And so they had a rugby team, which I kind of ran into, and they're like, oh, we're having tryouts. And I'm like, okay, you know. And then club rugby back then, like it wasn't really a tryout. Like if you came, you were making it, but I didn't know that. So I'm like, okay, you know, like I got to go out there and show out. And just knowing it was very similar to football, I had heard about it before and was presented the opportunity to play. I was like, you know, maybe this, like, it'll be just a 
a fun way to still get the competitive edge, but not have to be so committed because it was a club sport versus a varsity mm-hmm. sport. So I think that's what attracted me to it was that I could still get the competitiveness without having to commit all the time. How quickly did you come to terms with the rules compared to NFL? I still <laughs> like when when the refs call and stuff. I just look at my teammates to like figure out what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so, uh, it's a lot harder, I think, than football. I, I could tell you, I probably don't even know half the rules to football either. I I was never somebody who watched sports. I was always somebody who just played yeah. it. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know everything i know the important things but in terms of like if you gave me a test on the rules of rugby i'd get oh, okay then. Sure. okay yeah what attributes do you think you brought to rugby at that stage um compared to some of the attributes that you have now um obviously i want to say that i brought speed i want to say i brought in culture into the environment and the idea of using social media to make money off of who we are as athletes. Um, I would say I brought in the importance of using your voice, even if people don't want to hear it. I'm kind of accepting that. And I would say I brought in the combination of speed and power and size. I think that was something that was very different from college into the professional level. Even now, a lot of people in my position are five inches shorter and 30 pounds lighter. So um, I think that's probably what I brought in. I want to read a quote. Um, It reads, follow your dreams because you know best what you need for yourself. So this was um, an article that I read and it was quoted in saying that this was your sister um, after you telling her that you wanted to pursue a career in rugby. Can you just talk to us about that feeling when you had the assurance from your sister to just push forward? Um, I think my sister is very open-minded and realistic with how she goes about making decisions in life. So for me, she's somebody who, if I'm dealing with something, she's the person to run it by and say, hey, How do you think I handled this? What do you think I should do in this situation? Even though she's a year younger than me, she's very spiritually and mentally strong in that aspect. So um, for me, myself, I'm very confident in who I am and the decisions that I make. I'm very strong-minded and, you know, I'll fight for what I believe in and work hard for the things that I think I can be successful in. And I feel like she knows that about me. So her saying, you know, follow your dreams, because regardless, as long as you follow them and commit to them, you're going to be successful because that's what's in you. So her seeing that and understanding that about me, that was just enough reassurance to myself of you already know, like if you commit yourself to something, you're going to be successful because it's in you. And hearing that from her, from somebody on the outside, not in my brain, that was important for me. Okay. There's, a, there's a lot of articles out there that talk about the importance of um, your family in terms of the support they gave you. How was that in terms of your friends? Did you receive the same amount of support from your friends? And did they understand, um, like when it comes to training, the time that you have to dedicate towards that? Because I know in some instances, some people struggled to come to terms with that. How was it for you? 
Um, I will say, like, they knew nothing about rugby, but they were like, if you're doing it, I'm supporting you. Like, I'm posting about it, and I don't even know how to answer people's people's questions when they ask me about it, but all I know is my best friend went to the Olympics for rugby, and she plays this crazy sport where you got to tackle. Like, as simplistic as it is, they've always supported me no matter what. So I think that was um, very special to me, and I'm very grateful for them in that aspect. In terms of figuring out how to maintain the relationship while also being a professional athlete, it has taken time to like find the balance to where before I was seeing my best friends every day and now it's like I only see them twice a year. So I think we just had to kind of have the conversation of this is what my life is like and this is I'm traveling all the time. Like I don't have all the free time to chat. So just, I think communication was the most important thing to be able to get on the same page. And now it's like, okay, they know, they know when I'm going to come home and we'll be able to spend time. They know my schedule and things of that aspect. They know that if they call me and I didn't pick up, it's not because I'm ignoring them, but probably because I'm on an interview or I just had a tough day and, and I need to chill. And I think that's something that we understand as adults because Yes, I'm a professional athlete, but also they're a teacher. You know, they're um, working in healthcare. Like they have their things too that require them to be busy as well. So not only was it an understanding from them about my situation, but also from me, for me, and understanding about their situation as well. As just because I'm free and I have an off week or an off month doesn't mean that they have to skip work and like go and party out with me because I want to spend time with them. It's it's a balance. And it's specifically a balance of boundaries. So I think that's an important thing, respecting each other's boundaries and understanding that it's all love, never, you know, taken for bad intentions. Okay. How was the transition from moving to individual sport to a team sport? Very tough. Um, I will say before, like in track and field, you didn't do something right, you got cussed out. And you took that, you ate that, and you did what you needed to do. You argued with your teammates, and it was what it was because at the end of the day, you were going and running your own race. Like, it, they had no effect on that. And coming into a team sport, with that type of mentality, um, I came off as, and still do to, to this day, as very aggressive, um, very assertive, um, sometimes loud. And I think that's something that I've had to learn how to accommodate with certain people because being on a team with so many different races and personalities and people who grew up in different ways, like you have to talk to each person differently. And that's tough for anybody, especially somebody who never had to have boundaries on how they talk to people because whoever they were around, they all kind of talked and operated and communicated the same. So coming to the understanding that my words affected people and that that could affect our performance as a whole um, was something that I had to learn to deal with. And then just also the understanding that I could have a fantastic game and my teammate could have the worst game. And because of that, we could lose the game. And it's like, that just doesn't make it that didn't make sense to me that that could be like that or vice versa where i had a horrible game and they had a great game and we won and and everybody wants you to be happy but you're pissed because you missed three tackles and it's like trying to find that balance of 
okay, like I had a bad game. Be mad for five minutes and let it go because you have to be happy for your team as a whole. It's not just about you. And I think that that was something that I'm still working on towards this day, making sure that it's team first and then it's you. But then also, you know, making sure you're taking care of your little bits um, behind the scenes. Where where do you think there's a difference in terms of, let's say you've had a great game Mm -hmm. and you've lost? Yeah. (laughs) Do you think there's been a change in in how you handle it compared to when you first started? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the beginning, it was a lot harder to where if I had a great game, I wanted to be happy and that was all that I cared about. I didn't care if you were sad crying in the corner because we lost. You know, I was like, oh, well, I had a good game. Like, should have did your job. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. So I think as I got older, like being considerate and sympathetic of other people's feelings and also, you know, putting myself in a position where I would receive that as well if, if the roles were reversed and understanding, like, if I had a bad game, like, whatever actions I need to do to make sure I put the team first, that's what I really need to focus on. Okay. Um, so you've mentioned, oh, so I first quoted aggressive and then um, not too long ago, you mentioned you being assertive and aggressive and straight after I wrote down um, a gift and a curse. And I think some of the things that came to my mind is the social construct of, you know, being assertive and being aggressive. I thought about, you know, what it looks like um, from a perception perspective, psychologically, and um, it kind of resonated with me because f- for myself, I I have often been been identified as somebody not necessarily assertive, but can be quite deemed aggressive. And I think in my late teens and throughout my twenties, it had such a damning impact on on my confidence that even now in my thirties. Um, particularly when I am in, you know, my workplace, I'm, I'm very, very quiet. I don't, I don't speak. It's almost suppressed who I am. So I'm interested because culturally, um, I do think it needs to be said culturally. This is a, I want to say a big problem, but this is definitely a, a talking point. Culturally, this is a talking point about black, men and females, um, black men and women um, being aggressive and assertive. And I don't want to hide away from this because this is something that has been, that not only now it's really being open um, in us being able to speak about it. So can you give me an example of when your aggressiveness or so-called aggressiveness and so-called assertiveness has been a gift but equally, can you give another example where it's been a curse for you? Um, a situation where it has been a gift yeah. was probably me speaking up about my contract amount and demanding more. And I did have kind of what you were talking about, that moment where I'm like, am I doing too much? Like, is should I be asking for this? Do I deserve this? Like second guessing what I what I knew was to be true. And eventually I was like, nope, like if I don't speak up, 
and nothing happens, I can only blame myself. Yeah. But if I speak up, like the worst they can say is no, and we'll come around to it again. So I think that was a situation where I was very aggressive in terms of stating why I deserve an increase, um, saying that I deserved an increase in the first yeah. place, making sure I, I had people on the, on the phone that were on my side to support the reason why I needed an increase, um, kind of leaving no tables unturned in that conversation. And I got the promotion. So it's like, that was worth it, you know? And even if I didn't, I still would have thought that was worth it. Cause not only did that benefit me, but that's also a conversation that I can have with my teammates. Yeah. If you think you deserve something, you need to ask mm. for it. Because if you don't ask for it, they ain't going to give it to you. Like they'll save that money. So you got to ask for it. So I think being able to experience it and then provide that advice to other people was two gifts. And then probably a time where I would say it was a curse was um, I was on tour and had some words with my coach about his choices and his feedback and his decisions and things like that. And after having the conversation, definitely believe I could have handled it better. I could have took taken more accountability. But in that moment, none of that stuff mattered. And in that situation, I ended up getting benched for the next tournament. And unfortunately, they ended up not doing as well. So that was two failures of not only me um, having a bad effect on myself, but also having a bad effect on my team. So I think those would be two okay. instances of, you know, aggressiveness. <laughs> Appreciate that. Do you yeah. think? Do you think you've learned from that in terms of the coaching dynamics? Because every coach is going to have their own way of um, speaking to you and providing information mm -hmm. or criticism. Do you think you've learned from that? And do you think that you now can be in any type of situation when it comes to coaches? I would say I definitely learned from it. We have a sports psychologist and he's been fantastic um, for me personally in terms of navigating, you know, this area with the person that I am, the color that I am, the gender that I am. Um, mind you, he's a white guy and, and he understands like, I don't, I can't relate to anything that you've been through, but this is what I would do. Here's some tools that I would use. Like, um, so I think that was really helpful for me and him understanding that stigma that black and black women and men receive for being as being assertive as being as assertive as a white person would be and getting a different response. He understood that. So I think that was something that was helpful for me, him helping me navigate, like you said it this way, you could say it this way, like, and it can still have the same assertiveness without the tone and things like that. And also giving me reassurance that, oh, you said it that way and that was fine. That person should have taken that information differently. They handled it wrong in that situation. So being able to, kind of decipher should I raise my voice in this situation or should I not H having that thought process I think has been really helpful for me with um, navigating not only with my teammates but specifically with coaches especially with us just having a coach change right now every coach is so different um, and I think for me like a lot of the coaches I had dealt with since I came into the rugby realm 
are, we're very sensitive and very emotional um, as male coaches. And that was something I wasn't used to. Um, I was used to very assertive business. Let's get to work. I don't care how you feel, that type of energy. So it's very hard trying to go from one perspective that you've lived majority of your life into a completely new one and trying to navigate that, especially as a black woman with the stigmas that we get. So I'm definitely getting better. And even if I don't get it right in that moment, I realize after like, oh, okay, you know, I didn't handle that. Let me go around and have another conversation about that. Because you won't get it right every time. Yeah, man. This is, um, it's, uh, these, are the, these are the type of conversations that definitely need to be open and we need to have more of those because um, it, it is, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. Like some of us, we just have just ideas and um some it takes so much sometimes just to you know put an idea forward or to just put your grievances forward and then to get told that you know you're quote unquote um aggressive um it can be a real a real knock so yeah i mean people like you um definitely we need more like people like you in the world so yeah kudos to you um naya um so one thing that i'm interested in is the mental aspect of rugby so when you think of rugby all you think about is the physicality the running or the running into people but um i'm really intrigued about the mental side of it so can you just talk to us a little bit about the mental side and how you prepare for games knocks and how has your psychologist helped you for the mental side of the game um i think for me mentally i struggle with pushing myself and conditioning and like fitness aspects um, I struggle with on-field communication in terms of like not being too aggressive. Um, and I would say probably another struggle is just pressure that you can put on yourself or pressure that's put on you because of the player people know you are or the performances they've seen you um, have. I think um, one of the main things our sports psychologist talks about is being present in everything that you're doing um, and having that what's next mindset, which is very important in rugby. Like you need to make sure that you're focusing on what's happening then because if you take one second to focus on something else, that person's gone down the uh, sideline. So I think that's one thing that's been great that he's been working with us on and then also next task like after you finish one job in rugby specifically sevens things are happening so fast like you don't have time to hone yeah. in on a mistake or hone in on a celebration like you got to keep on moving and get to the next task so mm. that's something that i've been working on as well because i know i can get really engulfed in when things go wrong and i'm like you need to do this and you need to do that and i do need to do this and it's like no, like what's next? We'll talk about that later. What's next? So I think that's another big thing that he's talked to us about. And then going into each tournament, we do this thing called a fork in the road. And we basically have the event that's coming up at the top and you kind of under that, right? What are some challenges that could come up? Next column, how would, like, how would you, what thoughts and emotions come up when you think about those challenges? And then on top of that, um, what forwards moves, what forward moves can you make in that situation and what backwards moves can you make in that situation? So I think having a pre-mortem thinking about 
the event before it comes, especially doing it as a team and kind of understanding where everybody is at mentally, that creates a very strong connection. It creates um, empathy for each other when things could go wrong in events, which they will. And also it creates a discussion to think about things before they come so that you can prepare yourself mentally in a way. So I think that's been something that's been very great. And also lastly on that, just um, a postmortem as well. After the event, what happened? What emotions and thoughts came from what happened? How did you handle those situations? How could you have handled them better? And doing that as a team, like that was very beneficial to us, specifically going into the Olympics, preparing ourselves for the Olympics as much as we could, being there and being present in that situation. And then after talking about things that happened and how can we prevent those from happening in the future? What would you say is your biggest setback and how have how did you overcome it? My biggest setback would be becoming complacent with just being fast. That was all I really needed to be in college. And I kind of accepted that after four years of like, I'm fast. It took me to the pro levels. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm smooth sailing from here. And four months into my um, contract, they were like, actually, speed isn't enough. Like, you don't have the skills. You don't have the mental capacity. You don't have the vision. So, you know, basically you're cut. And they definitely see the, the potential in terms of my physical abilities, which is why they were still like, yeah, you're cut, but we see the potential. So we're going to let, we're going to offer you the opportunity to like go into a developmental program. And having moved from North Carolina to California, shipped my car, like moved all my stuff out there. And then four months later, they're like, oh, just kidding. Like, I was like, are you are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? <laughs> and it just really had pissed me off, especially because I was so hesitant to go out there in the first place because my dad was like, don't be a pro athlete. It's too temporary. So when that happened, I'm like, dang, he was right. But um, I called my parents up and they're like, I'm like, hey, I got cut, you know, da, da, da. Um, they gave me the opportunity opportunity to do this, but I want to go home because I had never ever in my um, 18 years been told like, you're not good enough in sports. Like it was, that was never it. It was always so easy for me. So I had never had to deal with that. So my first time dealing with that adversity, I was like, no worries. I'm out. I'll go do something I know I'm good at. I'll go back to PT school and do that track. Cause I was doing well academically for a majority of my life as well. So I felt like, you know, oh, well, like, I'll go do my plan A anyway. This was my plan B. And my parents were like, nope, you got to stay. And I'm just like, are you kidding? <laughs> and they're like, no, you got to stay. So I had, I stayed. I uh, did the developmental program for four months while I was also in school and um, working at Buffalo Wild Wings. So it was like, all the adversity just thrown on me at one time and my first time ever dealing with adversity. So it was tough for me, but I had a great support system, um, not only from my family and friends, but also from the rugby community where they did give me the opportunity to go into the developmental program, which not everybody gets that um, chance. So that I think that was a sign for me of like, you know, there's still hope for it. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you know, you can go do something else. But I committed to that and 
was brought back on to the team. And I think just the main lesson I learned from that is to never become complacent. So even now, like, it's like, what areas of rugby can I get into that I'm not into yet to make sure that when they're picking people, like I'm the undeniable choice because I have all these attributes on top of my physical attributes. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about um, being complacent and that's all I read um, about you is that you're just very, very fast. And I think my question um, leads on to this because all I was keep on reading is you being fast and I was thinking to myself and she can't be just fast there's got to be more so my question to you is what is your most underrated attribute mm-hmm. um, right now it would probably be just my defense okay. I am a great a great poacher yeah. like if I get you by myself I 100% have the ball <laughs> if I get you and your person's one step away I 100% have the ball if I get you and they're right there I 99% have the ball. So I think that's something that I have brought into my toolbox that has allowed coaches to be like, oh, I'm picking you over that person. Because not only are you fast, but on defense, you're getting us the ball back. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your Olympic journey. So getting there, how it felt to be there, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, my Olympic journey started in 2016 because I was hoping, even though I was coming in that year, um, for the first time that I could go to the 2016 Rio Olympics, but because I got cut at that, the time that I did, that wasn't available to me. So I did miss my first chance at going to an Olympic Games. But then, you know, I stayed on the team and started getting ready for Tokyo 2020. And that journey was pretty good. I had some great seasons. I um, was doing some great things, was becoming um, the player that I was looking forward to becoming and kind of had the goals of reaching. And then COVID hit and it was like, okay, you know, like, I guess that's fine. I guess I can wait another year. <laughs> and I'm like, he really is not, not making it easy <laughs> to reach this goal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is in the car, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. So I stuck that year out. Um, as I said, like fitness, like motivating myself to do that is very difficult. So during that quarantine time, we had to do remote training. And that is tough for me, like to make myself get out of bed and go work out when, when I know somebody's not going to be they're telling me to do it. Um, but luckily I had my accountability buddies on my team and we figured it out, got it done. And then um, this last year, we didn't have many opportunities to compete because COVID is, you know, still around and doing it, traveling and stuff. So um, we did a lot of inner squad, inner squad scrimmaging to make sure that we at least got some form of in- intense, aggressive play. So that was helpful. Was it ideal? No, but you got to work with what you got. Um, I think the tournament before um, the month of scrimmages and selections for the Olympic team, I injured my ankle and knock on wood, I hadn't been injured my whole six, five to six years of being on the team. So I'm like, come on, like, why now? Like, why not a year ago when we had all that time? But I believe everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I kind of went in with that mindset of work hard, try to get it back. If it's ready in time, it's go time. If it's not, then I guess we'll be here for another three years for the next Olympics. (laughs) Why not? Um, But 
I ended up getting it figured out. I had great staff to help me with my ankle injury and a great doctor as well. So he was able to get me back in about two months. And um, luckily, all the hard work that I had done before allowed me to make the team, even though I couldn't participate in the scrimmages at that time. So I was very grateful for that and um, was named to the Olympic team, which was a dream come true, but also just like the first hill in my journey. Like for the Olympics, it seemed like once you got over one goal, there was multiple more to come down the road. So for me, um, getting named to the team was the first hill. And then we had a tournament in LA to kind of get some play against other teams and we did that. I performed really well there. And in that in that situation, it was like, okay, now I have to get through this tournament without getting injured. So that was one hill. And then you have like two weeks of training before you fly out to Tokyo. And it was like, okay, you know, I got to get through these two weeks of training without getting injured. Like, I think that's what was in everybody's mind is I literally have, I'm going to the Olympics, but I have a whole month to train to where anything could happen during that time to prevent me from reaching my goal. So that was something that I definitely thought about, but tried to put in the back burner of my head. Um, and then finally in that first game, as soon as the ball kicked off, I was like, I'm an Olympian. <laughs> like there's nothing about it. Like I'm an officially an Olympian, whatever happens after this, it is what it is because I'm an Olympian. I don't care if I played one minute, like it's, it's solid. It's sealed. So I think after that, like those thoughts kind of went away, that um, anxiety about injuries. And we went out there, did the best we could do. Obviously, there were some things that we could have done a lot better coming in six at the Olympics out of 12 teams. That definitely wasn't the goal that we had. Everybody wants to go for gold, us specifically. And we missed that target by a good amount. But hopefully that we can learn a lot from that games and take that into Paris 2024 if God permits and um yeah like it was it was great it was an experience it wasn't what I expected in terms of all the COVID protocols and things like that compared to other Olympic games but it was something that was a once in a lifetime experience and that I would never trade for anything mm. How would you analyze your performance throughout the Olympics? I would say I did pretty well on defense. I would say one of my X factors, as we know, is my speed. And I don't think that I hit the ground running as much as I wanted to. Um, and I, I don't think I had the effect on the attack side that I really wanted to go out there and have and um, how I could have changed that or made that any different. I'm not really sure, but um, it's just more fire under my butt to make sure that for the future tournaments, the future world cups, the future Olympic games that I'm on my horse and ready to go. With some of the setbacks that you've had, some people would give up. What, do you think gave you the perseverance to persist to, to, to basically make it to the Olympics? I would say probably how big and extreme my angle was of 
like the Olympic Games, that's not realistic for so many people in the world. And for me, in that past couple years, it was very realistic. So in my head, it was like, this is a one-time opportunity that not many people get. It's a very rare accomplishment and you have the opportunity to accomplish that. So don't let nothing, don't let anything get in the way and stop you from reaching that goal. Um, so I think that was something that drove me. And then I'd probably say just knowing that I have control of my success and not letting anybody interfere with that, even if it felt like they like they were just really pissing me off. And I was just like, you know what, like, forget the dream. Like, I just want to go off on you. It was like, no, like, I'm in control. You can feel how you want. You can say what you want, but you're not going to have any effect on my success. And I think that was kind of the mentality I have of taking control of the things I had control of and using that to my advantage. Okay. Are there any players past or present that you um, study? I'm going to say no, only because I, I don't, as I was saying earlier, I don't really watch sports. And it took me a long time to actually watch our, our team's film or my own film. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, <laughs> like you are training for eight hours and then you come home and you want me to watch more. Like you want <laughs> me to work for another hour too. Like, I don't get that. But now I understand it. Um, I watch film a lot. I will be honest and say most of the time when I do watch film, I watch myself and yeah. figure out ways that I can get better. But I will say like, um, being on the team the past five years, I have come across people in my same position that play completely different, but are just as successful. So kind of watching them, um, letting them rub off, rub off on me a little bit about the things that they do, what helps them be effective um, in that in the same position that I am and trying to take some of those tips and also sharing my tips with them as well. So I think that would probably it would be less of me like watching film on people but just knowing how each player is whether it's on my team or internationally knowing how those players play and thinking about how can I incorporate that into my toolbox how important is nutrition to you it is important um I don't know if you guys can relate but like in high school when I was running track nutrition was not a thing like mm, yeah. you ate whatever was at school. And then when you got home, I had like three bags of chips, fruit snacks, brownies, McDonald's, like anything I wanted, like even through college, like I never thought about what I ate. I just ate what I wanted to eat. And that's the kind of a mentality that I had when I came into the professional realm. Like I just ate what I wanted. Um, and eventually with our nutritionist and also, um, a lot of my teammates who were very, very disciplined in what they ate, I seen the effects it had on their bodies in a positive way and also the effects it had on their performance. And eventually I was like, eventually they just naturally started rubbing off on me. Like I never knew what Brussels sprouts was. I never knew what avocado was. I never ate spinach. Like those type of things just weren't around me growing up um it, it still isn't around my like that's not really a very common thing um in my family to this day um a lot of them are starting to pick up little things like like very healthy um ways of eating but back then like whatever looked delicious that's what you bought <laughs> whatever was cheap that's what you bought 
So now talking to my nutritionist, like I found a way to balance it to where like now I know myself and I know if I, if I don't meal prep, I'm going to go out and order food that I probably shouldn't be eating. So for me, it's making sure I meal prep twice a week with my veggies, my fruit, my rice, and my chicken so that if I'm hungry, I can just go in the kitchen, pop it in the microwave and I'm good to go. And, um, having the balance of like during the week, I'm going to eat my meal preps. And then on the weekend, you know, I'm going to splurge, but still make sure I get in my vegetables and my kombucha and a lot of water. And my nutritionist has been amazing with that. Cause I feel like a lot of nutritionists will say, you just need to do this, this, and this. Like, I don't care what you've done in the past. This is what you need to do. Whereas my nutritionist, she's like, okay, you like to drink a little alcohol, alcohol, make sure you chase it with a lot of water. You like to eat out, well, make sure you just at least try to include a vegetable or maybe don't get the fries and just get a dessert. Like she's very accommodating to who you are as a person, which I think is amazing. And and it's a lot easier to listen to her in that aspect because I know she is trying to um, see both sides. So yeah, definitely like still have that kind of mentality inside me, but also in understanding that nutrition does have a big effect on your performance. And if you eat bad, you're going to feel it the next day. And if you eat great, you're going to feel that the next day. So you kind of make a decision. How do I want to feel tomorrow? Absolutely. What What was your biggest food habit that you had to get rid of? I won't say I got rid of anything. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it would probably be like fried foods and sweets was my thing. Oh gosh, sugar, sugar. Mm. Like that was my thing, and just sugar, like candy. Mm. And Mm. now it's like, okay, Naya, my nutritionist will be like, get an air fryer. And I'm like, bet. Like, I got an air fryer. So if I want chicken wings, I can just air fry them. And it's quote unquote unquote, a lot healthier. So I'm like, okay, I can rock with that. And then (laughs) the sweets. Uh, it just depends on the month, like how I'm feeling. Some weeks I'm I don't want I don't have a a craving for it at all. And like last week I was eating candy every single night, and I was literally telling myself like, okay, you ate candy tonight, don't eat candy tomorrow. And I would sit there and I would just eat the candy. So I think for me the most important thing was making sure I didn't have it in my house. If I didn't have it in my house, it it wouldn't pop into my head to even think to eat it. Or it would be like a harder thought about getting it of, oh, I have to order it or, oh, I have to get up, leave the house to go get it. Maybe like then I'm least likely to do it. So I think for me, getting the air fryer helped me kind of eliminate fried food as much. And then also just trying to keep sweet, um, healthy snacks in my house, such as fruits, smoothies. um, What else? Yogurts, lame (laughs) stuff like that. kind of helps me but she's she's like have your cheat day so being able to cheat every now and then that kind of eases the craving okay um just just before Ed, um you've reminded me i need to get air fryer that's actually something that's been on my list um it's yeah yeah i've heard i've heard so much about air fryer so yeah i, I definitely need to purchase one yeah you can cook your fries yeah i've got one that. and i absolutely love it i just actually just had my dinner from it so <laughs> yeah so yeah it's so, yeah <laughs> i love it um in terms, I know you don't watch a lot of sport but was there anyone that stood out to you in terms of their mindset 
I would say Usain Bolt. He's very confident. I love that. And um, he was accepted for it, which I didn't see very often in the environments that I was in, accepting that confidence, that arrogance in a positive way, kind of, because it's, I, I would never think of it as arrogance because he can back it up, you know? Yeah. And, and I love that about him. Um, and just how much love he received for being who he was. And he was very honest. And cause I've listened to a couple of his interviews and um, my grandma's Jamaican. So she, we always like, she would get his DVDs and we would watch them um, growing up. And he was very honest in terms of, you know, I hate working out. I hate eating healthy and stuff like that. But if I want to be successful, these are the things that I have to adopt. These are the things that I have to change. So in acceptance of, you know, your ways and how you feel about things, but also the understanding that if you want a certain outcome, you have to make certain changes. And so I thought that that was something that I related to a lot and something that I appreciated. Okay. Um, I read that you wanted to be the first woman in the NFL. So now you've taken on rugby. How have you redirected your dream and what is your overall dream um, now that you have taken on rugby? Um, I think I kind of won up that dream because if I was going to be the first girl in the NFL, kind of the highest accomplishment I think I could get in that is a Super Bowl ring. And I think the Olympics is a lot bigger than the Super Bowl. That's so it. <laughs> I think that was one of the things that made letting that dream go a lot easier. Um, so I think the next biggest goal would be, uh, I don't know. That's my thing. Like, I don't even know if I've thought about that because everybody, even myself, has always just thought about the Olympics, the Olympics. Like, that's the top accomplishment you can have as an athlete. I think for me, probably my next goal that is nowhere near that level, but it's something that um, I really want to do is being invited to the ESPYs, which is like an award for athletes in the U.S. I think that would be dope. Because I think that would be a great um, way to get rugby on the map um, outside of like international sports and a couple people in the U.S. I think that would be able to put us on the map and put us into the eyes and ears of people who know nothing about rugby still to this day in the U.S. Yeah, because you, you think you think about NFL and there's so much talent in the NFL and a lot of those people could play rugby probably um 100%. and it's yeah. just probably just about spreading it as much as possible because i honestly feel like if the united states paid attention to rugby they will be a force in rugby yeah i i think so too i completely agree with that um because they are very similar and what they put out and i think sevens is a lot more attractive because of how short yeah. it is and you know, we don't have big attention spans. So I think being able to give people excitement, big hits, a lot of scores tried, a lot of um, different skills shown in the span of 14 minutes, they would love it. But it's all about getting it on TV for free, um, getting it into schools early, things of that such to make it be as successful as football. And I mean, football, they're offering million dollar mm. contracts. Yeah. Until until we get to that level, it's going to be really yeah. hard to get people into the sport. Because how are you going to – what guy is going to be like, 
I want to go take this $40,000 contract versus this 2 million. Like nobody's yeah. doing that, you know? So I don't know. That's interesting so, because that leads on to my next question. So if you were to run a campaign for recruiting more female rugby players, what would that campaign look like? Um, it would talk about specifically the culture of the sport. I think that has been something that has been very beneficial to my growth as a woman, my growth as a human being, is being around so many different people and having to interact with them and learn different ways of thinking and living and operating. Yeah. And then on top of that, I would say specifically the Olympic Games, like you have an opportunity to be a part of something that a very small portion of people in the world can say they've been a part of, like that's yeah. a huge accomplishment. and something that not a lot of sports offer and um i guess on top of that just adding in the opportunity to be a part of something big because when this sport does blow up like it should um i would hope that i would be able to be a part of that so i think those would be the three things that i would say to attract a female player to this okay. sport in the united kingdom uh, rugby, in terms of diversity, it's, it's probably got a long way to go. Um, but especially with coaches, I don't see any diversity in coaches here at all. How is it like in the States when it comes to diversity first as a as an athlete and then when it comes to the coaching side? Um, diversity as an athlete in rugby in the US, I would say, is like very, very diverse right now. Um, back in the day, not so much. When I joined the team, it was probably me and two other black girls. And now it's like half the team is brown, which is really nice to see. Um, but I and I'll also say like there's Asians in there. There's polys in there. There's whites in there. Um, there's Hispanics in there, not specifically so much on our team, but there's a Mexican team. There's a Portugal team, Argentina team on the female side. So. You do see the diversity in that aspect. Um, in terms of coaches, I think it has been primarily white international men. Um, I guess for us, like every coach that, that I've had so far has had an accent and has not been from the U.S. So I think that's another thing that's hindering the growth of the sport is not only for the players, but also for the staff, um, getting people from the U.S. to um, be a part of that, to be in a position to be able to coach a national team. And mind you, like, I don't care who's coaching. I don't care where you're from as long as you're good. But because we're on the topic, like, it is mostly in, in the U.S. white men from New Zealand or um, the U.K. or from South Africa. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I was reading that you have a rugby camp. So you set up a rugby camp for females. Um, can you talk to us about that? Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to find a way to give back to my community, specifically the females, because I have been affected by the amazing and positive things that rugby has to offer. And I don't think enough female athletes know about rugby and the opportunities that it can present them in terms of being paid to be a professional athlete, traveling the world for free, and possibly going to the Olympics. Um, so with the camp, I wanted to create an environment for female athletes to come in 
and not feel like they're pushed to the side because there's boys there, not feel like they're being bossed around by boys who think they're so much better than the girls because of whatever stereotypes we grew up with. Um, feeling like they could come in there, have fun, make mistakes, get better, um, and relate to the people that were around them and also kind of share information with the people that were around them as well. So I started that with one of my old assistant coaches. He was from, I think he's from the UK, a black guy. And we start, we had one camp before COVID hit and it went amazing. I think we had about 20 girls there and we just had such a good time. And I was so happy to be able to give back to my community and make them feel inspired in that where I was at was a goal that was attainable for them. Um, so that's kind of what my goal was for that was creating an environment where girls felt like they could come in and show their full potential without feeling overshadowed or put to the side. This is my last question to you. So in three words, describe your strengths when it comes to your mindset. Strong-minded, confident, and open-minded. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my concluding question is, so there's a perception um, between rugby and what you call soccer in the, in the UK. So <laughs> rugby fans and rugby in general as a sport is seen as a gentle sport. They call it like the gentleman's sport because um, the rugby players are very, very respectful to the referees, etc. The fans are nowhere near as um, crazy animated as um, the soccer fans in the UK. Whereas if you comparatively look at the UK, soccer fans, they're seen as, um, in some respects, yobs, fuggish, um, drunkards, um, football players are seen as prima donnas, divers. Um, yeah, so you, you, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Can you just talk a little bit from your perspective? Why is rugby such a, um, I, I don't know, from a perception perspective, why is it seen as such a beautiful sport? So you being inside it, why is it such a, um, a gentle sport? So I will say there's not a lot of sports where after teams play, they go and have a social together. And I think that's something that's really ingrained in the rugby culture is being able to be on the field, ready to kill somebody, ready to tear somebody's head off, um, ready to run tr run um, circles around people and, and be aggressive with somebody and then walk off the field and, and act as if none of that happened. And like you guys are best friends mm. as if you weren't just competing for um, the gold medal. I think that's very interesting. And that's a, that's hard to do. Like, that's not like a lot of people take things personal. So to be able to come off the field and have that mentality that shows growth and strength, specifically in rugby players. So I think that's kind of where that respect form comes in. Um, also, like, you'll see it a lot. Like if you hit somebody hard in rugby, a lot of the times you'll help them get up and then you'll go handle your business. Nobody's doing that in football. <laughs> Nobody's doing that in soccer. I think because it's it's already in our um, job description to hit each other and do all that aggressive stuff, 
you know it's not out of spite. You know, like, that's their job versus soccer. Like, they go and try to kick people and hit people and do all this stuff, and or even in football, like, just trying to take each other's heads off. And it's like, that's not in the rules. Like, that's, like, that's just out of spite. So I think um, that's also where the respect thing comes in. And then also just in terms of fans, if you go to a rugby tournament internationally, all the fans are kind of, in their groups, but they're all around each other. They're all celebrating. And a lot of the times, yeah, they're rooting for their team, but they're also rooting for good for yeah. good rugby, for good um, sport. And I don't think you see that a lot across the other sports. A lot of the other sports, like the teams are on separate <laughs> sides yeah. of the stadium. And that's not the case with sevens. Um, so I think that's kind of where that respect aspect comes from. And I think, as you said, it is a beautiful thing because it shows growth, like to be able to okay. do that. Um, Naya, how can people get in contact with you? Um, I have a website called nayatapper.com if you want to know more information about me and also if you want to purchase merch. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok at nayatapper. That's N-A-Y-A-T-A-P-P-E-R.com. Okay. You're on the full shebang, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Um. Yeah. Another, another, another good and great um podcast. Um. Naya, for, um, for, you know. Um. We really, really thank you for um this podcast. Um. And the interview. You shed a lot of light. Um. For myself, I was particularly just interested in just an American. You know, like I think it's just out of sheer ignorance. Just an American going into um rugby union and it's, it's it's such an intrigue for myself because you know you look at some of the um other um popular sports in the, the US and it's just so interesting as to your path down rugby union so yeah I'm really 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 thankful for your journey um continue and and really something again that resonated with me is just this aggressiveness and assertiveness just continue to represent those of us including myself who are perceived to be you know assertive and aggressive and yeah um yeah you can definitely help a generation of us because there's so many of us that are struggling to uh, maneuver in the workplace and in and around society so yeah, from the bottom of my heart, I'm really, really, really thankful and I appreciate no you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving me this platform to share my perspective. Um, also, I would say just an advice, like if be that assertive person that you are, like it's really hard to hide that and that causes more frustration than dealing with people calling you assertive, you know? Like, yeah, you're assertive and that's okay. Everybody's not the same. So I I would say live in that, be in that, be confident in that. Don't let nobody shy you away from that because that'll just drive you nuts. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you. Um, guys, if you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular, regular listener, please continue to share. Um, until next time, guys, stay safe, stay healthy. Peace.